This is Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM. Hello and welcome to Sea Stories. I've been reading again one of sailing's most famous authors, Joshua Slocum, and his book Sailing Alone Around the World. And it's in preparation for the programme on the Ark, the Transatlantic Rally for Cruisers. Writing at the start of the classic book, he describes leaving the harbour in 1895. We bounded ahead, he says. Waves joyously across Massachusetts Bay met her coming out of the harbour to dash them into myriads of sparkling gems that hung about her at every surge. The day was perfect, the sunlight clear and strong. Today, too, we're leaving harbour. Fading now the sounds of the brass band on the quay and the crowds wishing us farewell, waving to their friends and family as we all head out to the start line for the Atlantic Rally for Cruisers. It's November 24th. We've just spent a hectic five days preparing the boat, the last-minute jobs, with our motley crew. Five people from Ireland and a Welsh skipper. We are part of the Ark, the Atlantic Rally for Cruisers, with 3,000 miles of trade winds ahead of us and 280 boats in the general direction of St Lucia. This Atlantic crossing is an ambition for many sailors who can take up to a year to prepare for the adventure once they decide to go. For Taft Pierce, our skipper, this is his 46th Atlantic crossing. For the crew, it's our first or second crossing. And now, following a week of hectic last-minute jobs on the boat, we are ready to go. With me on the voyage is Miles Kelly, husband and wife team Philip and Liz Quigley, and Brian King. With a blue sky and in strong winds between the Canary Islands, we heel now and reach away as the log shows our speed easing above nine knots. This is Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. Well, we've just left um, Las Palmas for what's known as the Ark, which is a, a cruise from Las Palmas in the Gran Canaria um, across to the Caribbean to an island called St. Lucia. And this is the first um, phase of the trip. It'll, it's expected to take somewhere between 16 and 20 days so leaving on the 24th of November we would hope to be in St. Lucia probably sometime between oh, the 10th to 12th of December and maybe the 15th or 16th, some, something in that in that, that region. So what's the appeal of the Ark? Is it the, the, you know, for people who sail or who haven't sailed? Why should people go on it? Why do they do it? What drives them to go on the Ark? It's a chance for them to cross the Atlantic in company with other boats and other families, and so they feel there's a bit of a bit of a backup there if they need it. They run into difficulties, mind you. You can go days without seeing another boat. But, but it's not like a cruise. A lot of people will know about it. You're doing the work yourself. You're sailing the boat. Yeah. Well, on this occasion, we're in a boat. Um, it's an Ocean Star 56.1, and there are six on board: five Irish and a Welsh skipper. And uh, the five of us are, are organising and running the boat. You're listening to Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea. I'm John Murphy and we're aboard the Athena 2, making our way across the Atlantic Ocean on the Ark, the Atlantic Rally for Cruisers. I'm standing in the cockpit of Athena and close by here beside me is Captain Taff Pierce, who is on the wheel. Taff, you didn't grow up beside the sea. I'm a, a valley boy from the valleys of South Wales, the Eastern Valley, a place called Gandhi Fife, which means a heap of stones, believe it or not. Um, but 
The last thing I ever thought about was uh, going to sea or wanting to have anything to do with the sea, except to go to Barry Island or once or twice a year to paddle in the water. I joined the army at 17, at 17 and a half my service commitment started and I joined the Welsh Guards and whilst I was in the Welsh Guards we were stationed, we ended up stationed in Germany, in Dusseldorf and we had an officer there called Sammy Gausen, Major Gausen, who was known as Compass Gausen because he did everything by compass bearings and one day he came into the barrack room and said to several of us were we interested in sailing? Uh, or could we sail? And we looked at one another because none of us, being valley boys, had ever been on a ship or a boat in our lives, except the uh, maybe the little ferry that would go across to Western Supermare, uh, across the Bristol Channel. So, but we, uh, I and a couple of other guys decided that we would go and see what it was all about. And they took us. He took us to the British Kiel Yacht Club, um, which is in northern Germany where he had chartered uh, one of the windfall yachts that were left over after the war. And the particular yacht uh, that I was uh, interested in was a boat called uh, Overlord. And, and from there, I, we went sailing that, that weekend, a lot for a long weekend sailing. And I remember two particular things about it. One, I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. Two, that um, we got stuck on a sandbar and the currency for getting us off the sandbar was a case of whiskey to a fisherman. Taft went on to get all his seagoing qualifications by his mid-thirties and since then has sailed across almost every sea and ocean. However, he says the most challenging place to sail, in terms of learning that is, is close to home. Ironically, I love sailing in in the Solent, in the south of England. And my reason for that is, is quite simple. There is very few places in the world where you get reasonable tidal streams um, or the effect of tidal streams. And, and you also get a complete mishmash and diversity of shipping. You get everything from hovercraft to ferries to warships, um, and difficult anchorages, very, very difficult entries and places. You have to know your stuff if you want to learn to sail in the Solent. And it's the greatest teaching area in the world. And that's what I learned through the army. And it's fantastic. And I'm still extremely fond. So a wave just came over the side and uh, drowned, <laughs> half drowned the crew. Listening to Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea. Okay, so for lots of people, you've sailed across Dublin Bay, you've gone across Dublin Bay on the St. Bridget, a ferry, but there's a world of a difference between the water in Dublin Bay and the water in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I suppose people might wonder what's, what, color, what colours do you see in the water when you're way out in the Atlantic, when you're way offshore, when the water is deep, when it's 90 or 190 metres deep, when it's a dark, dark Indio colour. Beautiful. Also, the waves are much longer, big, long gaps between them and then higher because of it right but you don't I suppose if you saw a wave like that in Dublin Bay you might be nervous 
but you don't. They come behind you, they roll up along behind you, and then magically the boat lifts and you're carried forward onto the next one. And behind the one that just lifted you is a valley that drops away and the next one. And it's very hard to capture on camera or in video. You have to sit there and watch it. Or you have to sit watching somebody, one of the guys steering, and you're sitting with your back to the door to the below, and you watch the waves rolling in behind you. And it's mesmerizing. I suppose people land might be wondering about the basics of life. Like we have a really good galley for cooking. We have deep freezes for food for that long journey. They also wonder, how do you go to the loo? How do you have showers? Well, on Athena, we have four heads, four uh, separate toilets and uh, two showers. We have a water maker that gives us 160 litres of fresh water an hour from seawater, so we can have showers and uh, it's very comfortable. You're listening to Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM. At the moment, we're not sailing directly towards St. Lucia because. Um, the weather patterns we've been advised are such that we're unlikely to get favourable winds if we were to head on the rum line directly to St Lucia. So the advice has been to uh, head south first, uh, probably down as far as even the Cape Verde Islands, and at that stage turn west. And hopefully by then, uh, which will be probably in about four or five days' time, the trade winds, the easterly trade winds, will have kicked in. And with a bit of luck, that will take us all the way across the Atlantic at that stage. Another member of the crew is Brian King. Brian, what persuaded you to come on a voyage like this? A madness took me, John. Uh, no, I suppose um, a sense of adventure. Um, I had heard, of course, of the Ark uh, because my friend Philip had done it some years ago. And when he contacted me early in the year and said that he was doing it again this year and was I interested, uh, I didn't take too long to say yes. I knew this was uh, a sort of opportunity that I couldn't really pass up. Um, And it it, it appeals to a certain adventurous spirit in me, you know. Uh, And it has been all of that. It has been great because it it has not only been an adventure and quite an adventure, but it satisfies my love of the sea, which I have from childhood. Um, it, it satisfies a love of messing around in boats. Uh, I've never been a boat owner, uh, as, as many of the others have here, but I, I, I like boats and I like messing around in them. It has done that. Um, and of course, it, it, it's in beautiful weather. Where else would you be in December? But, but uh, sailing in the tropics towards the Caribbean, um, I suppose it could have had its downsides. Uh, I, I knew before coming that uh, the confinement would be an issue. Uh, I'm an outdoor guy, really, and I did think about the idea of spending three weeks confined to an area 56 feet long and, and maybe, I don't know, whatever it is, 10 feet wide or 12 feet wide. Um, but I knew that before I came, and that hasn't been any problem. I, I, I'm looking forward to getting out and stretching my legs uh, when I get on shore, I have to say. But, um, but it has not been a problem. In fact, it's been a great opportunity to just sit back, relax, catch up on a few books, um, engage in conversation, sing some songs. But we're on our way now to the Cape Verde Islands, right? And you're not uh, a novice. You've had some sailing experience before. You've sailed on large uh, ships before, haven't you, like the Asgard? I sailed on the Asgard um, uh, back in the early 80s when it was fairly new, it wasn't all that long launched and I sailed on it. 
in the Irish Sea, mind you, not any further away than that. Uh, the Irish Sea down uh, down along the west, the east coast of Ireland, across to uh, the Isle of Man and into Carlingford. Uh, wonderful experience. I think if anyone gets an opportunity to sail on a tall ship, that is an experience that is quite different from anything else you will do, and I would highly recommend it to anyone. You're listening to Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea, and we're sailing the Ark, the Atlantic Rally for Cruisers. Today, following a number of days of light winds, we decide upon a short stop in the Cape Verde Islands to top up our fuel tanks. It reminded me of Cuba, that sort of feel to the place. It had modern cars, or at least modern, old modern cars, but, uh, but it felt very much like Cuba. It had the sort of... Uh, Caribbean African population to a great extent because it's off Africa and um, the buildings were well, brightly painted but, but in need of a new coat of paint. Uh, some of the islands have uh, developments by Irish developers for holiday homes which didn't, which seems to me like a long way to go for the sunshine and it's a real sailing crossroads. Like the, like the Azores, the Cape Verde Islands is where sailors meet and you go to the marina and it's full of you know, robust looking ocean cruising yachts um, uh, and it's, everyone talks about where they go next, and where they go next is usually the Caribbean. We stayed just one night in the Cape Verdes, leaving about 8am, just after sunrise, and sail between the islands with the sun just coming over the hills and the sea quite calm as the wind slowly began to pick up. You're listening to Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. So really, there's not a lot to do once you're into the routine of the boat, and meals take on an enormous significance, right? And I think my favourite meal was lunch, because it was you could be the most adventurous. We had prepared quite a few main meals in the freezer, but at lunch we spent a long time being creative with cheeses and cold meats and everything. And, and, and that took many hours to sit in the cockpit chatting, and, and then we ended up singing uh, with Philip on the guitar, or Brian on the guitar, and practising from the Athena songbook. I suppose at home or at work, lunch is a break between something else. At sea, it was a major event during the day. We had no time constraint. We tried to have it around the same time every day. And really, it was a social occasion when everyone met back in the cockpit, sat at the big table and talked. And really, the only timetable I had to adhere to was a 2 p.m. schedule on the radio when all the boats called in. When I would go on the shortwave radio and call into the net of all the boats in our group to see where everyone was. Now, there are 280 boats on the rally, but we never saw anybody else. And the closest we got to them was talking to them on the radio. So every day at 2 p.m., I'd call in and say where we were, find out where they are, and discuss what we did during the day. And many people talked about fishing or the meals they made or the weather. This is Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. Well, we're almost halfway across the Atlantic, equidistant from the Cape Verde Islands and San Lucia. And we're part of the Ark Rally, about 280 boats sailing across the Atlantic together. But you don't see anybody else, really, most of the time. I think, so far, we've only seen two other boats. I'm with our skipper, Taff Pierce. Taff, can you, if possible, put into words for me what it means to you, what the sea means to you? I love the sea. I, I don't think there's anything in the world it's such a diverse thing it's also it can be all things to all men and women I think it's, it's, it's such a diverse environment it's um, one minute it's as calm as as, as it's as calm and as relaxed as a, as a church and the next minute it can be as violent and as powerful 
as as a war and it's and it's like that it's, it's a sort of cross between a, a battle and a, 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 a and um, and solitude and there's nothing nicer than sitting here at night on your own and watching watching these constant stream of waves and wind taking us in the right direction. We are doing nothing different to what Columbus did. We started off from the place that Columbus pretty well started off. We started off from the island of Gran Canaria, which is uh, uh, Las Palmas, and Columbus set off from another island very close to it. And we are doing nothing today. Uh, our route is taking us nowhere different today than it did for those, those ships all those years ago and the Chinese before them. This is Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. Well, I grew up in uh, Bullock. Uh, my dad had a little boat and I spent a lot of my time ferrying people in and out to their boats, rowing them in and out to their boats. And so I grew up on the water, really. Had a canoe, windsurfer. Had absolutely nothing to do with sailing until one day a fella at work came in to me, Pierce Vegan, and he said to me, the, uh, in Dunleary Harbour there are moorings being made available for the first time in years, and the harbour master was offering moorings uh, for the first time in years. So he said to me, why don't you apply? And I said, but sure, I don't have a boat. And he said, well, sure, that doesn't matter, apply anyway. And lo and behold, uh, we were offered a, a, a berth in the harbour. And then we had to find a boat. And it was all downhill after that. Um, having bought this boat and launched it then, there was a little difficulty of not knowing how to sail. So the solution to that was, I thought, was quite simple. I went out and bought a book, as you do. This is what engineers do. You buy the book, you read the instructions. So I bought this fabulous book which I still have, all about everything you ever wanted to know about sailing. I can't remember its title, but it was written by a fellow called Bob Bond. So I read that from cover to cover, and that was it. Sure, I was now an expert, because I could name everything on a boat. I knew how to do everything, in theory. I went on a day sailor, which was been the same size as our own boat, and it was um, moored directly in front of where we had our boat. Yeah, and they used to sail in and out off the moorings and I thought well if they can do it why can't we do it so I after the course I had learnt um, enough for us to agree a bit better when we went out but you were comfortable on the water anyway to start with yeah I liked being in the water I liked to feel the wind in the sails and my hand on the tiller but I didn't know the name of anything Uh, where we are now, we are about, I think, about 59 degrees west, and, um, and, and what are we, about uh, 15 degrees north. We are thoroughly enjoying trade wind sailing with a very limited rig up because we are averaging somewhere around, uh, I don't know, anything up to eight or nine knots uh, at any one time. And we've been consistently doing, or the last two days, we've done a 210 mile um, day and we did a 160 or 170 mile day and it looks like today might be up around 180 to 200. So uh, we're creaming along and having a, a lovely, lovely, lovely time on a very well found yacht. Um, I've done 
I've done a lot of transatlantic sailing, uh, and I've done, I think we worked out about nine or ten arcs, um, of which um, this one compares very favourably. I've done something on this arc that we did, well, I've never done before, and that's go into the Cape Verdes. Um, I've been to the Cape Verdes before, but a long time ago. I've had good crews. I've never had really bad crews. I've had awkward moments with crews, but with this one, it's been a, a beautiful, settled environment, and we've had a lot of fun. The nice thing about the sea and sailing is the levels of experience for each individual person come, come to the fore, and the learning curve for the others is, is exponential. It goes really quickly up, and you learn far more by doing and experiencing like this than you ever will from going on, on a book or doing an RYA course. This is different. I doubt whether I've ever been on a boat where I haven't learned something new. And I've learned a couple of things, uh, quite, quite a few things on, on this trip even, because every boat is different. Every boat has a personality. Every boat has, has, has a fault. Every boat has a strength. They're all different, but they're all the same. The idea is, and especially when we are trade wind sailing like this, the idea is to get us there safely with the least damage to the vessel or the crew, minimal, right? And at the end of it, for everyone to put their arms around one another and say, yes, that was a good experience. That was a life-changing experience. I've taken probably hundreds of people across the Atlantic and other oceans sailing, but, and every time I, I say it, and I said it to you, I think at the beginning, I said, Whatever else it is, it will be a life-changing experience. Your life will never be quite the same after you've done an Atlantic crossing. And regardless of what um, people say, and they often say, everyone's doing it these days, I often say, name me a couple of people that you know that have done it, and they, and they rarely can. But I can name, you become, a, if you cross the Atlantic on a small boat, and this is a small boat, if you cross the Atlantic on a small boat, then you join a very select band of people and have a very select experience, which I think personally is wonderful. Sea Stories. Lives touched by the sea. Well, we've just arrived now in Rodney Bay and tied up in the marina. And 20 minutes ago, we crossed the line after 21 days at sea, and it was a really emotional event. We all stood along the rail as we sailed in, and the official photographer took a picture of us. But now we're here. Five minutes ago, we were met by a welcoming committee with uh, baskets of fruit and bottles of rum and a big jug of rum punch. And we're sitting around the table in the cockpit, just sipping the rum punch now, and it's just... It's hard to describe the feelings uh, of achievement and sadness for finishing the voyage and camaraderie between the crew. Brian, Philip, what was the last 24 hours like for you? It's some of the highest winds and some of the biggest seas we have had yes. in, in the last three weeks, which Absolutely. is extraordinary. I personally thought that as we got close to this area that it would ease off a little, but it, it, it yeah. was uh, big winds, big seas, which was very exciting and a lovely finish. The entry into Rodney Bay, well, into San Lucia, was a bit misty this morning. We we arrived just as the sun was coming up, so it was uh, the first sight of land was just through darkness and moonlight, and uh, and and then it, it opened up a little bit. As we actually came into the bay, the sun was coming up, 
the day was beginning, it was warm, it was beautiful. And as we sit here now at the marina, this looks like a little slice of paradise. Brian's described it absolutely perfectly. We've had three weeks at sea. A lot of it's been hard, you know, having to get up and watch us and being banged about and, and uh, so on. And now we've arrived and, and all of that is a, is a forgotten memory now because we've done it. We've, we've crossed an ocean. We've had a great time doing that. And now we're sitting back and enjoying the chairman's reserve. So over the following days, we spent a little time exploring San Lucia, went into Castries, the capital, and climbed a mountain. But in no time at all, we were climbing back up the stairs of the big Virgin Atlantic aircraft to fly home across the Atlantic back to Gatwick. In a matter of hours, we covered that distance that took us weeks to sail across, and it really put sailing and flying in perspective for me. Looking out the window, as I could see San Lucia fading in the background and now the ocean stretching out ahead of me and knowing that in six hours' time I'd be touching down in Gatwick when it had taken me 21 days to sail from the Canaries. It's quite a sobering thought and put sailing in perspective. So for us, it was, it was the achievement of a lifelong ambition. What have we learned? How has it changed us? And what do we do now? Join me next week when we have a reunion of the ARC crew nearly one year after the event, to find out how much has changed or how much has remained the same. If you want to hear more sea stories, or photos and videos of the Ark Voyage, and find out more how you can sail the Atlantic, head over to our website, seastories.ie. I'm John Murphy. Join me next time on Sea Stories. Next time on Sea Stories. Every day, everybody wakes up in a different mood. And, you know, everybody's got a different, uh, how can I say just attitude to the day and that causes a, a a reaction amongst the other crew as the only woman on board did you find that you were uh, almost put into certain roles by default how did you deal with uh, a crew of five men i found that very interesting actually because uh, that was something i was kind of concerned about being the only female on a, uh, a boat of males no i don't feel i was put under pressure to do anything that i didn't really want to do Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, was presented by John Murphy and produced by Pat Hannan. Find out more information about Sea Stories. Go to facebook.com forward slash Sea Stories Ireland or follow Sea Stories on Twitter at Sea Stories IRL. It was a 21st Century Vox production for East Coast FM and was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with funding from the television licence fee.